right. Hey, guys. Sorry about missing last week. I was feeling quite under the weather. Feeling better now. The weather's nice here in Victoria. Yeah, he's uh, lucky. He's lucky over here we got a bunch of snow in Ottawa. We got about two feet of snow this week. So. So, uh, yeah, we had like a bright, sunny weekend, 10 degrees outside. Like, went to the beach. That was a good time. Right on. It's supposed to be like that here this weekend. Not, not, I, I went to the beach, but it's supposed to be 8 degrees. Yeah, you'll have to wait for the snow to melt for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, this uh, week's topic is uh, active participation in politics. So, I, how would you define that? Well, it's a broad topic. I mean, in, in a democracy, theoretically, or historically, and as democracies have grown, there's been different differing levels of activity in, in politics. Um, and by that I mean there's there's been periods of time where uh, the general population has been very in, involved in politics, and there's been periods of time where where that's been less so. Um, also, one thing that's happened is um, now we're we're standing back far here, but. Um, Politics used to be run by city-states, in which case a city-state was essentially a small city that would govern itself independently. There was no larger state. And we're looking here uh, ancient Greece and, and, and those types of days. Um, so in those times when you had, um, uh, when the Republican system began to, to exist, um, the idea of a democracy was, and the idea of a republic, I should say, um, was that everybody would go to the forum uh, on a given day and they would discuss the issues of the day. Um, and that's, that, that's the idea, uh, the general idea of a republic. So you, in that type of thing, you have a lot of active participation. Uh, in, the in the politics of, of your, your your state, and the problem that they ran into um, is that as that city state becomes uh, a larger state and and eventually a country, you can't have that sort of direct participation in that type of democracy. So that brings up a whole uh, other bunch of challenges. Yeah, okay. I guess that makes sense. So, like, um, yeah, you said, like, city-states, like, in Greece, like, let's say Athens, for example, or like that. But I'm guessing Rome worked like that, yeah, and they tried to govern like that. Rome? Um, yeah, as, yeah, as they conquered, which I guess it made, probably would have made it harder as they, like, started, like, conquering Africa and parts of England and stuff, right? Exactly. And another thing that eventually was an issue was that a lot of the people ended up having, you know, day jobs, so, and people started working at, uh, and especially, as you say, when they conquered other other places where uh, customs were different. Um, and 
it was hard. It became hard to find a time where you know the farmer could go participate in the forum, for uh, for example. Not necessarily just the farmer. You know the the, the locksmith, the the male. I don't know if they had male back then, but you, but you get what I'm what I'm getting at. Is yeah, not everybody sure. could could participate, and we see that in our parliament now because everybody's invited to go to parliament and 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 go, and you don't, can't even really give your opinion, but you can be there. But no, not that many people can go. Yeah. So yeah. So okay. Um, so we went from that extreme where people could just take the time, and I guess those people would be like, I don't know. I guess it'd be like a day off. Yeah, I think or, it would be like Sunday. Good. It would be like a Sunday morning type of thing, where it's like a typical, typically a day off. But you know, there's a, there's certain people that still work on Sunday morning, right? So that's yeah, now that type of thing. But yeah. And then, like you said, as it became countries, geography uh, became a factor, and uh, it, it, was, it was a bigger problem. Like, so you, we started doing, like, not only in republics, also in uh, democratic monarchies, we started electing representatives that would represent us. And, and you know, we do an election at a set number of years, and they go to the capital and represent us, and they like to spend their career or whatever to do that, or do that as a career. Yeah. Um, and uh, that that system, yeah, I guess it's just been slowly evolving since, I guess, since Greece, I guess. Uh, I mean, and and now we're here, where like you said, people can't go to Parliament, can't necessarily go to Parliament, but uh like we can we have technology now to uh watch parliament or um uh you know we can message like we we can send an email or a, a social media like a facebook message to our, to these politicians which is something like uh, kind of new right so yeah i mean there's always been the letter mail. You you, you can send your MP a letter. Well, not always, but you know what I'm getting. Like there's always, there's been letter mail for a long time. You've been able to send your MP mail, but give them a call. But it's not the same thing as you know um, social media where you can openly discuss with MPs and politicians. Um, and, and and sometimes that creates a conversation that would otherwise not exist. Mm -hmm. We've seen that, yeah. We've seen that uh, definitely with uh, both Prime Minister Trudeau and President Trump with different levels of engagement on social media. And yeah, he's and, and you also see it in uh, in local politics often too. Um, like I know in Timmins, that Timmins Ontario group where a lot of people will comment and that gets a popular, the, the, it's not directly um, activity in politics, but really it is because if, if you have your politicians that are monitoring that and, and keeping an eye on that, then the politicians are, are, are going to take into consideration the, the opinions of the people to some degree at least. Um, yeah, so that... So that's the active participation, and I've definitely seen that in, like, in Timmins specifically. Like, I mean, it's it's a smaller 
town, but still, I mean, like, so the Timmins, Ontario, oftentimes would, like, either, were, either people would, like, continue conversations that they'd be having, I don't know, at the bar or at the park or something, and it, it would jump onto social media, or the opposite, where a conversation would start at, on social media, and then it ends up at town council or something. So yeah. like, that, that's a that's a good way to be active to participate, I guess, right? Yeah, I I think that's a good way to participate. I mean, there's there's an argument to be made that politicians will do whatever is best for their interests, regardless regardless of what they see on uh, from their population. But I think that that is not all politicians. Um, some people would generalize that though and just say, well, it doesn't matter what people say. Politicians are just going to do what they want to do, and and my voice isn't going to do anything. I'm going to complain because I feel like complaining is feel better, but it's not going to do anything. Um, but that's 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 one viewpoint, um, and I'm not I'm not saying that I agree with that. Actually, I I, I think that that's that's false. Um, I think that most politicians actually go go into it. Um, with the idea that they're going to help the pe- help people and and do what's best for their community, um, like anything else, you get the rogue ones once in a while. Yeah, I kind of swing between the two. I mean, so I, I try and be optimistic, and at, at the same time, I can be pretty cynical. Uh, so one thing that kind of stuck out to me. So I went out. Uh, Tuesday on Valentine's Day, uh, the uh, legislature here in British Columbia resumed. We had a speech from the throne, uh, but there was a planned rally before. It was a Valentine's Day inspired rally, so like everyone had signs like uh, about what they cared about and what what they thought we should fight for about what about BC in general. Um, but one of the speakers. One of the speakers started off like it, it, it was mostly positive, but they did. There was that kind of undertone that okay, we're here rallying at the at the legislature, but they're gonna go do their throne speech and they're gonna ignore us anyways. Uh, but uh, that being said, there was two sides, so I got I had both my cynic side and my optimist side. And I mean, we have other reasons to be optimistic as well. So another part of participation is actually participating in the election process and we have an election coming up in in May so we have a chance to to throw out our government if we don't like what they're up to. And how was the strong speech? Did it uh did it uh did they just go out there and do what they thought was best for them or did it, did it seem like it was uh they were doing what's right for the population? Well See, that's a that's that's kind of a funny one. See, I, so I, this is obviously this was just my first throne speech. I guess the first one that I actually even paid attention to in provincial politics, to be honest. Um, but there was definitely the undertone that there's an election in a couple months. So they started off strong, saying like we have a plan for BC, then really didn't give much of a plan, in my opinion and uh, kind of reiterates the good they've done since the last election. 
and uh, strongly hinted, or not even hinted, but overtly said that uh, that taxpayers would be getting some kind of break in the budget, which seems kind of well-timed before an election, considering rates for just about everything have gone up since the last election. Yeah. And, and we've been running... Like they've like so what from what I've heard anyways, like obviously I haven't lived here. So they've been running surpluses and uh just saying, Well, we've to reinvest it and they've been increasing fees and everything and then now that there's an election it kinda of seems like a little fishy that they're gonna um uh, give something good for the taxpayers. So yeah. it it seemed kind of self serving, but then again, like I was at a rally I wasn't exactly friendly to the uh, existing administration right before the South Street happened, so. Fair enough. Here in Ontario, the news, hydro prices are going down. Really? Yeah, and uh, also right before an election. Um, so apparently they found this money in the budget that's going to, uh, push hydro prices down significantly. Um, whether it happens or not, we're going to see. Um, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. But uh, the word on the street is hydro prices are going down. So um, if it happens, good. Whether it's enough to save Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals in Ontario right now, that's another question. Um, if, to be honest, if I were Kevin O'Leary, I would have entered the Ontario provincial race before entering the uh, the prime ministership race. I think you'd have a much better chance. Is he from Ontario? Uh, Kevin O'Leary. Kevin O'Leary, is he from Ontario? That's a good question. I think he's from Quebec. Montreal. Okay, so that makes sense. He's an Anglophone Quebecer. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I guess you can enter the Ontario Premier race. Good. <laughs> but, really? Uh, no. I, is that a thing? Because like, he lives in the United States now anyways. That's not stopping him from... Like, is that is that a thing that you have to be from a certain province to, to, be, to run as an MP there, or... I thought so, but now that you're asking, I'm, I'm uh, second-guessing myself. Uh, I, he'd either, I, I feel like he'd either have to have been born here or have lived here for X amount of years. And I feel like it, it would have had to have been like the last five years or the last six years or whatever. I don't, I don't think it's enough to say, oh, I lived here like 15 years ago for five years. I, thought, I wouldn't think that that would tell you. Yeah. Well, at the very least, I guess uh, you might have the people like like uh, um, like when Michael Ignatieff was running for prime minister, saying like he was Canadian but he was living in the United States, so people would like almost like like there yeah. is still that nationalist um, that like like they, they attack him for not being properly Canadian or whatever. Yeah. Which is, like the same, which is like the same thing that Trump tried to use uh, on Obama during the election campaign. 
saying that he wasn't born in the United States. Um, so, yeah, so, okay, you, so you were at a rally before the Toronto speech yesterday. So that's another example of um, being active in, in politics. Um, does, like, do you feel that you going out there, uh, like, how many people are at this rally, first of all? And two, do you feel that um, that that rally and rallies like that have an impact on on the political process? Uh, well, so there's a few good things about it, and I think more like like I don't think that rally. So like if if you just um, singled out that rally and said, was that going to do anything to affect anybody in BC? Probably not, other than maybe, like, the people that are in the rally that maybe have, maybe, you know, get some positive from being there and getting feel empowered. But this was, like, uh, it was uh, a combined effort by, like, 10 different organizations around British Columbia that was made. Like, there was a Native chief there, and, like, um, it, it, it was, like, it was it was like a group thing, and it was just kind of a, uh, you could kind of get together and see, you know, help a certain organization. It, it was nice to see people there. Um, we made the newspaper. Like, there, I, our main newspaper here is called the Times Colonist. There's a picture on the first or second page, and there's another one I was reading today. So, like, it definitely gets the issue. So. It definitely got the issues in the news, so there are a few of the issues highlighted where um, that Kinder Morgan pipeline, uh, there's a huge dam project going in um, when we have a hydro surplus, and uh, it's like so there's people pissed off that they're flooding their farm fields to build this dam, and uh, so it definitely highlighted the issue. It got the issues on the news, but. I don't really think anything's happening in Parliament in the next three months anyways, other than whatever pandering is happening. Okay. Uh, but I think in general, yeah. Sorry to answer your question. In general, yeah, um, people see, like, people uh, get more of a sense. Like, I got, I, I got a sense that I was, like, completely unprepared to be there. Everyone was, like, right in it everyone was so educated about it and it like convinced me to get more involved and to get at least more educated on on the matter okay right on um so uh in your case it was part of a larger movement yeah like many movements so like like there was there was a group from University of Victoria there. There was a, a group called the Dogwood Initiative that literally just, like, calls uh, uh, and, like, pesters, or not necessarily pesters, but, like, approaches uh, MLAs, which is our representatives uh, for the legislature across, across the province, and they were getting people signed up to join them. To, to address issues that concern us. Um, so that means these MPs are getting calls from a, like a coordinated um, organization. But like, yeah, and it was fun. It, it was a good time, you know, everyone was smiling. It was Valentine's Day. Um, 
yeah. I uh, just to throw the cynic point of view, and it's not my cynic point of view, but Aaron uh, was on the bus, and um, they they went by because I, I had to leave. See, like the same thing you mentioned earlier, I had to leave and go to work, so I didn't even get to stay for the throne speech. Um, luckily, they had the rally at lunchtime, and uh, but she was on the bus going by, coming back from her doctor's appointment, and. Uh, you just heard, like, two old ladies complaining that, oh, they're always protesting something. So, I, I don't know, maybe in one, one way it's kind of overkill. It, it, but <laughs> yeah, we, that's the rally. We hear that one a lot in Ottawa. Oh, these protesters always clogging up traffic. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it's two-way street. That, but that's the part of a representative democracy, though. you got to be able to protest like that, uh, especially when you're doing it peacefully. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, and, and it does get the, the issue out there. It, it gets people to notice, um, and and it, it can lead to, to a political party or a political leader changing their tone in regards to certain issues. Um, so I, I do. I think that it's an important part in in, in really the the uh, democratic process. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to think of, of the island. There's an island like so. BC's got some of the, the last standing old growth forest in Canada. Yeah. Um, and they're like part of what what uh, we were rallying about was to stop cutting it. Um, you know, like, what's the plan in 2025 when all the clear-cut's gone? Like, when, when it's all clear-cut? But there was an island where, I forget which company, and I forget which island, but it, it, it's on the West Coast here, and they, some company got the right to clear-cut basically the entire island, and the, the natives there protested, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it got violent, but it got to, like, confrontational um, status and that like there was other people that joined them but they ended up getting their way and like creating a provincial park where where this company had rights to cut everything down so I mean in some ways it does work I think sometimes um, the one um, the one the rally that we were at yesterday wasn't uh, like or, like it was it was super organized, but it wasn't like it 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 didn't have a specific goal. It was more of just like a, a show that we're there, and you know you can't ignore you can't ignore the people right on the front lawn when you're going back to work, basically. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say like kind of kind of being a cynic here, but um, like you just gave an example of of um, Aboriginal activists uh, protecting uh, a forest. Um, we had the same thing, same kind of situation here in Ottawa in the west of the city, um, in the Canada area. I don't remember exactly where, where it was traditional Aboriginal land. They wanted to clear cut to, um, to preserve, or sorry, to, to build developed homes over there, and there was uh, large-scale protests by Aboriginal groups and Greenpeace and 
Amnesty International, a bunch of different groups, and to combat that. And in that case, we ended up the development still went through. Um, the, since then, uh, that group, that Aboriginal group, has been offered uh, other land in the, in the national capital region, uh, and it's been it's been acknowledged that. Like even you know part part of Parliament Hill is on Aboriginal land, and a lot of downtown Ottawa is, is on Aboriginal land, and the federal government has has acknowledged that recently. But like the fact is, they still have to move out of that that area for development. So sometimes it'll work, but sometimes unfortunately it doesn't work. Uh, that's I guess that's part of the uh, that's, that's part of the battle, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So same and the same. Just I want to say um, here is uh, right, right off the bat at the rally we acknowledge that uh, I don't know if the government ever has here, but um, more like a good probably all of downtown Victoria and like the legislature buildings here are on unseated. Uh, native territory, yeah. I think Songhees and Esquimalt tribe. So that unseated just means that they never lost it in battle and never signed a treaty to lose it. Just people came and built stuff. And yeah. Um, so another, um, just just a quick mention and. Uh, um, uh, another form of active participation in politics, um, and you, I don't know if you disagree with me, but it's, uh, our government is, seems to be known for it, its money. So our, gov like our, our government has been in the news, it's been in the New York Times, the, like the scandals and uh, just like known for corporate love, like our, uh, the Liberal gov Party here. Um, gets more money from the oil industry than the governing party in Alberta, um, and it's known that uh, that uh, Christy Clark, the premier, is like a great fundraiser. Uh, an article in the New York Times just forced her to stop taking m money from corporate donations from her party on top of her salary. Uh, so there's definitely some a huge, well, maybe not huge, but there's definitely a contingent of people that uh, would see her as being influenced by by corporate money as yeah. well, which is another form of participation in the system as we have it, in my opinion. Uh, it sounds like the lodging laws might be looser in British Columbia than they are in other parts of Canada. They are. Yeah. Because Canada... In general, Ontario, I know for sure, and and the federal government, there there's pretty strict laws that combat that. Um, I know that um, our southern neighbor, there's quite the opposite, uh, where there I 100% agree with you that money has um, a, a, like a huge role in politics. And it's, I think it's unfortunate, and I think that that it's kind of by design in their system. Um, I, I, I'm not yeah. 
super familiar with the BC system, so I don't really want, I can't really elaborate as to whether I think um, that it's, the money that's coming in is significant enough to actually have that kind of uh, impact on, on the policies. Um, but it sounds like it might, um, based on the fact that they got a lot, a lot of money from the oil industry. Um, I, I would definitely think it would impact some of their policies. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Totally agree with you about the United States. I mean, it's often said, and I'm not. I'm. I'm just going to say it for here. That it's often said that um, just about every presidential election the party with the most money won. I don't know if that's including Trump this year, but it's been said there. And uh, also here, yeah, in BC, um, any time pretty much that it's reported upon, um, at least that, that extra bump, salary bump from the Liberal Party, it's also widely reported that it's illegal pretty much everywhere else in Canada. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, so it was reported, it was like people almost just like, just didn't even care anymore. Like it was just like, like, you know, like being a dead horse. And um, I got to, uh, a reporter from the New York Times was here in BC, I don't know, for work or vacation and caught wind of it. And uh, it came out in the New York Times and that's when they finally addressed it. Hmm. It's still not, it's still not law, but they, they've stopped or is that extra money? Gotcha. Yeah, I probably, probably would have some significant impact on the pipelines getting built and that type of thing. Yeah, well, so, yeah. And, like, uh, so I don't I don't know. Uh, uh, the pipeline deals, like, she, she had her five, her five uh, requirements and they were met. But there's other projects, like, like the Site C Dam that are, like, like kind of weird, like so, like on native land and like farmland, putting in a dam. But you see, like like Ontario has a power surplus, so yeah, it's kind of a weird. And like BC Hydro is paying for it, so I'm kind of scared that Ontario that our hydro is going to start going up, like, like mm -hmm. to, to pay to pay for the project, and then sell energy at a loss or something. But anyway. Who is selling the hydro to the state? Yeah, I guess so. And, uh, I mean, they've, they've had, like, far-fetched um, ideas of, like, selling, um, powering the tar sands and all mm -hmm. kinds of all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then, yeah, we have a liquefied natural gas plant going up. Uh, which they want to sell. We don't have a buyer for the, not, the product, but they're planning on the Asian market on that one. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, it's like all these projects with like no no end. Well, I guess they have an end game, but no buyers at the moment. Fair enough. But yeah, so yeah, I just wanted to to mention that because that's that's big, and a lot of people still predict that she's still going to win because she can. She can get in money and she can um, campaign. And uh, unlike most of the other provinces, the Conservative Party is almost like non-existent. Like it's not gonna win. <laughs> so uh, see the Liberals and the 
the NDP and the Greens are going to be fighting for the scraps. So, like, you always wear as other places say, like, the conservatives, like, even aimed federally, like, when the conservatives merged their party and they benefited from vote splitting between liberals and NDP, um, the liberals should be benefiting from vote splitting between the NDP and the Greens here. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, I'll have to wait and see what happens with that election. We'll see if uh, money has an active role, see if the protests that are held, or if I should call them protests, or, well, some of them are protests, protests and rallies that, that are held, yeah. uh, see if that has an impact, and we'll see if we're, if we're right about anything we said in this episode. Yeah, yeah, there are definitely protests, and we have kind of, uh, we have kind of activist politicians too, some of them, right? So, like uh, Elizabeth May, I'm pretty sure has has stood in front of bulldozers. She's a federal MP, um, but uh, the mayor of Vancouver, before Trudeau announced his the, the approval, before Trudeau and Clark, Chris Clark announced approval of Kinder Morgan, said that if if they do approve it, there's going to be a fight on their hands from Vancouver, and like there's like, so we'll see. We'll and uh, he'll 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 be campaigning for another party. I can almost guarantee that. Um, yeah. So speaking of seeing if, if these movements work or not, there have been some pretty significant um, social movements in the past here in Canada. Yeah, definitely. Um, you had mentioned the, the like, what do they call it, suffragettes, the, the women's rights to vote. Yeah, that was a huge movement that took place. Uh, in Canada, it uh, lasted quite a long time. Uh, they, they were huge movements. I mean, I, I, I think it's one of the largest movements in, in Canadian history. Uh, and uh, they lined the streets of Ottawa, and I'm sure of other cities in, in the world and in, in the country to. to uh, the protest for the women's right to, right to vote. And it's been called that the second wave of feminism. So I'm not I'm not entirely sure what the first wave of feminism is. I didn't I haven't really um, delved into that too much. But I would imagine that it was like um, women's reproductive rights. No, that was after. So that would be like that was right, part of this. Maybe like rights to work, rights to like. Yeah, uh, divorce, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was probably right. I'm guessing that's probably some of the um, biggest one in Canada. So one thing I guess I'd like to think is probably it took it took them a while, probably. Like, so even if they did run into the failures, like it, it probably took a little while to actually get the right vote and then yeah like these movements um uh, like happened throughout the 1960s and the 70s and and um even like the early 80s until i think well i'm not sure exactly when, when the right to vote was uh was uh allocated yeah and then there are other things i guess there are other things like the general civil rights movement in in the 60s 
so um, I think women's rights are part of that, but there was also um, Aboriginal rights, uh, Native American rights, like just civil rights in general, right? Like uh, actually, um, I, have to, I have to correct myself um, on the uh, the right to vote. Women have had the right to vote in uh, the Western provinces since. Uh, 1916 in Ontario in 1917 and in 1918 in Nova Scotia in 1919 New Brunswick 1917 Cooper Federal Islands and 1940 in Quebec. So I imagine the the um, 1910s uh, probably that first wave of uh, feminist movement. Okay, yeah, and then this the second wave would have been. Almost wrapped up with the civil rights movement. Yeah. The, the general civil rights movement. And they, I mean, they suffered so, like, you know, they suffered so many failures. I mean, in some cases, people are still fighting for civil rights. But, I mean, you had to take incremental wins. And then uh, it took a, a strong politician to actually yeah. enshrine it and get, uh, give us a bill of rights. Or what's the, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is in the 70s, I believe. Uh, Trudeau Senior, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I, I'm, I'm going to go a bit off topic to end the show here. Just um, want to touch on recent events a bit, if you don't mind. Is that cool with sure. you? So, sure, yeah, I think we were pretty much done there. Yeah, we're pretty much done on our topic, anyways. Uh, so, let us know what you think about uh, uh, being active in politics. If you think it's important, if you think it has no say, it doesn't really do anything. If you think our political system is just so far gone that whatever you do doesn't matter, and, and if you if you have those opinions, let us know why. So we want to know why. Why do you think that? Why do you feel that way? I mean, we can maybe talk about it. We maybe have you on the show one day. Or even if you feel it works. Even Sorry? if it works, but not, even if you feel it works, but it's no as well. Exactly. Like, but, but, uh, also, what what would you change, or what would you protest for? Um, that's a loaded question. Um, no, I, I probably, I mean, well, you can answer it, sure. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were asking me, but yeah, what would you change? Me, personally, I'll give you a quick quick, um, quick answer. Is I think that it has to be easier for somebody to, um, to, to start a business or to, to kind of go out on their own and do their own thing. Um, and I think that... Um, one way of doing that is a shorter work week, and I think that there's other benefits to a shorter work week um, because you, you, having more time to do things that that you um, that you enjoy doing and that you want to do will also make you more productive while you're at work. Um, that's Leisure that's, time. Yeah, exactly. Leisure time or, or time to work on your own projects and get get your gears going. Um, that, that's a long story short. Um, I, I'll ask you the same thing. Well, okay. I just want to touch on what you shouted about. 
and offer another uh, potential solution, or not solution, but another, well, I guess part of part of a solution that's been tossed around lately um, is the guaranteed income. Yeah. So, so that would, to me, that would also help you. So you wouldn't be so worried about about your job. So if you did have a big idea and you want to spend six months working on it, then you at least you wouldn't be living hot rich, but you'd at least have some time. Because I always thought I've always I've been thinking about it a bit. That same issue for some reason, and uh, yeah, and leisure time. Like it's not like leisure time's terrible, um, but uh, yeah, I just like you think like big inventors like. Uh, or scientists, you know, like Einstein or Tesla exactly. or some people like that, you know, they're not people that had to, you know, spend 40 hours a week and work overtime. They had some, either had some money or they had some backing somewhere, some time to actually do what they were doing. Or they, they managed to live off very little um, to really yeah. concentrate on their project. Uh, yeah, which is almost like it. I mean, some people thrive on it. Uh, some other people, it would be like a handicap. Right? Uh, so what, what, what was the question again? What would I change if I could change anything? Uh, yeah. Well, I think you, you more or less answered it, really. Well, I, yeah, I like to guarantee it. I... Yeah, I've been thinking about this this reform, electoral reform, and they brought it up at the rally for electoral reform in BC as well. Um, and I like, I think maybe it's been too simplified. So we talk about at the start of the show about the start of democracy, basically the start of a Republican uh, point of view. Um, and how it worked back then, and then how it, it, it stopped working because of reasons of geography and uh, just random reasons like work and stuff. Um, you know, maybe maybe the whole 2019 election was a bit, like, rich, but maybe it, it is time to have a broader, even if it takes 10 years or something, discussion and figure out how how we can really figure things out how uh, in a 21st century way. I mean, all our systems are old, and yeah. they, they work okay, but it might be time that we start um, taking into account the technology that we have, the way that we live now. I mean, we don't, like, it's not that hard to, like, be in a room in Ottawa, like, like right now we're talking, and I'm in Victoria, and you're in Ottawa, and it's not that big a deal. So it might be time to think of, of other things like that. Yeah. And herein lies one of the challenges with that is that, like you said, it's a project that, that will likely take a decade. Um, and in order to accomplish something like that, you have to make sure that you have progressive politicians in power during that time. So if you have a, a strong conservative, um, they're not going to be that open to these types of ideas of you know changing the way things work. Uh, so yeah. I think I think that Trudeau 
And I think this is going to be a challenge for Trudeau, regardless of how he handles it from now. And if he says, okay, listen, I didn't, like, I didn't have time to do it this term, um, and I'll do it next term if you guys elect me again, I think that people are going to be so skeptical that it's not really going to work out um, for him on, based on that promise. Um, but at the same time, I don't know what else he's supposed to do. Is I don't think it was realistic for him to accomplish it um, in this term. I I think that if the political climate were in the world would be different, he might have been able to do it. It concentrated a lot of you know um, resources there and and really concentrate on that one task. But there's too much going on for him to just take all the resources and throw them at electoral reform. Yeah. I mean, I think there will always be uncertainty and, like, to a certain extent, we could always use that excuse that there's other things going on. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, you're, you're right. And, you know, maybe next term. But I think in general, so, like, yeah, so you're right. Let's say the liberals lose and then we have another conservative government or whatever, which is part of the problem, in my opinion, that we kind of erased the last government legacy or tried to. But, like, I think it needs to be bigger than that. Like, there needs to be, like, a, and that maybe maybe there is some truth into the, in the consensus line that he used, but there needs to be, like, a a national, like, commitment to it and it has to transcend more than more than uh, one party or one yeah. uh, election cycle. It, it can't sure. just be an election promise. I have a question though. Because when you talk about electoral reform, you're talking exclusively about the process in which you elect people to become your member of parliament. Now, that doesn't take into consideration how things work once Parliament is in session. It just determines how people are elected to those seats and which people from where, how many people from this region and how many people from that region get to go sit in that room. So once electoral reform is done, the system in itself is still essentially the same. Yeah. Am I missing yeah. something? No, no. You're, you're, well, I mean, so if if we switch to what Trudeau wants and it's a ranked ballot, yeah, that stays the same. It's just it's the way you elect it. Proportional representation would change it a bit. I, um, you wouldn't necessarily have people uh, like representing, right? But you're right. It, all in all, it still just puts people in a room. So then they have to decide whatever. But I think I think maybe. Uh, and like this is part of where I guess people get scared of, of tearing apart what we have now. But I think it might be time soon, anyways, to look at it all and how it all works and see if improvements can be made over a system that was essentially based on a 500-year-old system. Yeah, people were like on horses and. Yeah, I mean, yeah. In some senses, it's an archaic system. I'll give you that. Um, there, there are some like highly technical aspects to government as well. Like I mean, the the way we deal with national security, 
uh, the way government deals with their their infrastructure, their so I mean, I mean, like the government does work in my opinion as it is now, and I I understand the quest for there's always a better way to do things, but I'm not really with you in the that everything just needs to be started from scratch and i'm not like, i'm not sure if that's what you're saying or if you just think that everything needs to like a revamp um yeah, no but, but i think I, I think that things are constantly revamping uh within government and maybe it's not happening fast enough i don't know I'm not, I'm not saying start from scratch i mean we've been building on i I've read a bit about the history of where our kind of parliament comes from, and we've been building on a system where people were scared that the king, lord, lords were scared that the king might just take their lands, and that's how it started. And they started taking, that's our system, not the Republican system. Uh, they started taking powers away from the king, and they sort of, built up into what we have in the House of Commons and there's the House of Lords. But, I mean, like, we, we, I, I don't see that, like, it's, it's incrementally changed a little bit, but, I mean, I think incrementalism can work. I don't think, like, maybe it is a revamp, but I just think that we should start looking at it, and I, I hope that the electoral reform question is in people's minds so it's at least something that we consider it might not be like you said the top priority but why not try like when you're running a company you're always looking at how to make it run better if, if we're talking say uh, you know how how to make this thing faster or make it better you know the company is looking at that okay um, let's say we use voter voter engagement as a benchmark we're, we're at like what, 50%, 55%? How do we get people to think? How how do we get people involved? How do we get people actually thinking that that their vote actually changes something? Like, okay, but what about the other parts of government, um, the public service, notably? Like, um, do you think that that is an effective way of doing things? Having a minister for a department and then having that department work on, on that task. Do you think that those departments um, are modern enough? Do you think that, because in my opinion, in a lot of cases, those departments are run like businesses. Okay. Um, uh, in terms of efficiency, yeah, I, anyways. See, you're probably, you're, you're more uh, educated in, the, in that matter. You've worked for some of them that you live in Ottawa. Uh, so yeah, maybe you're right. I guess what I would like to see, and I think I've said it before, is um, a more inclusive parliament, more continuity between administrations. Like I think I said it earlier, like not so that um, you know we're working on something, and then because there's an election, we do a complete U-turn. It seems like a, a weird thing to me. Where, like, instead of like, you know, we elect people working together towards a common goal. But what if the people are divided? Well, then you have to come to a consensus. That's that's the whole point. That was the whole point in the first place, right? 
Well, yeah, but in 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 in, in a democracy, as in for the most part, the whole thing being whoever fifty one percent. In our democracy, yeah, people. There's countries that have actual proportional representation. But I mean, historically, like like in Rome, in the Colosseum, in the in Rome, in the Colosseum, it was, it was by votes, yeas or nays. Yeah, and Rome broke. Rome fell. You're the one that tells me every every republic has fallen. Every republic. Every has empire fallen. has fallen. Every empire has fallen, and or will fall. Or will fall. Yeah, I mean the earth's gonna blow us. But anyways, just food for thought, and I think that it should be an ongoing conversation. And uh, you know, yeah. Oh, you, said you had mentioned you had mentioned something about recent events. Yeah, I just wanted to touch a bit on the uh, prime ministerial visit to uh, Washington. Um, I, I was, cause I think we had talked about this, and if, we, if I'm not sure if it was with you or if it was on the show, um, or if it was just a chat that we had, but I was yeah, skeptical. We I was skeptical of the uh, prime minister going down to Washington. Um, uh, I, I thought that he should maybe wait for. Uh, for Donald Trump to come up here. Um, after that conversation, actually, I read somewhere that Trudeau warned Trump to not necessarily come up here yet because he'd be faced with a large amount of protesters, which I think is fairly true. Um, yeah. And, and I think I think Trudeau done good uh, by by going to Washington. I think he had a, he had a had um, a, a good agenda planned, and I think that it 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 um, I think it solidified a bit um, public opinion in Canada towards Trudeau. And I think rightfully so. And I'm not saying that it was a political move for him to, to gain political capital in Canada, but I think that it was a consequence of the trip. Um, when we saw. Uh, when I saw the news conference of the two leaders uh, together, it was the most reasonable addition of Donald Trump that I have seen since the election campaign started in uh, in the United States. So to me, that was that was good to see. Whether it's just an act, probably, um, but it shows that. There's at least, at the moment, that mutual respect between the countries is still there, um, even though they they clearly disagree on a number of issues. Yeah, well, Trudeau is pretty good at optics. I'll give him that. But yeah, yeah, I didn't really follow it that much, um, surprisingly. But I guess it, it's just it would just be like a preliminary talk, like. Uh, they, they issued a joint statement. Uh, there was actually some mention in that statement about environmental goals um, and about a, a number of, of uh, issues, including the border, obviously, um, uh, the, the continued flow of trade across the border, trade and people across the border. And a lot of it was just Trump saying how 
Canada is so much better than Mexico. Uh, yeah, we've got to be careful with that. I know. There's literally there's literally a ten like no, I'm exaggerating. There was literally five minutes out of the fifteen to twenty minute press conference where it was just Trump ranting about Mexico. And it's 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 just with the Prime Minister of Canada. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, yeah, and I guess but yeah, you don't wanna just be like, yeah, don't be a dick. But at the same time, yeah, we have to be kind of careful about uh, just being nice because we're on the right side of them right now. Yeah, but I, I think I think that um, well, I don't know if you saw anything about the infamous handshake. The one with the Japanese prime minister? No, with the with with uh, the Canadian prime minister. The Canadian prime minister actually. Well, according to the internet, Trudeau won the handshake and asserted his <laughs> dominance. <laughs> There's a lot of views. For the first time ever, Canada asserts its dominance. Uh, so it was, it was. I think it was a win for Canada, and I think it was. Um, I think he really did um, a good job of of saying, like, listen, we're not going to tell you how to run your country, but. Here's what we're doing. Um, this is specifically in terms of the the immigration situation. Here, here's a, what I, I'm not going to come down here and tell you how to run your, your country. It's not what Canadians expect me to do. But we've put in place a great uh, immigration strategy and refugee strategy, and working with our allies, it's, 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 we've been able to do this in a safe and secure way. So it was really, it was really, um, he really stuck to his guns, and he, I don't know, I think it brought out a reasonable, more reasonable side of, uh, of Donald Trump. Yeah, he wasn't on the attack. Okay, so I, I'm happy you mentioned, you mentioned it, uh, so about the refugees, so we've had, uh, I don't know, Seen on the news, people crossing uh, like uh, into Manitoba, like in Quebec or something, like in Quebec, <clears throat> but avoiding regular borders, border crossings because we're still enforcing the third country, the safe third country act. So, do you think we should now, after we after a few weeks since last time we talked, do you think that we that Trudeau should listen to all the lawyers and just not follow that third safe third country act. Well, the issue with that is that, from a political standpoint, I still think it's very hard for him to do that. Um, I don't think we're necessarily. Uh, respecting that agreement in practice, um, and I think that that's smart because as soon as you repeal that agreement, you get a bunch of media around it, and that is not—it's um, not going to be favorable to the relationship with the U.S. 
just to be the devil's advocate. Just to be the devil's advocate, some of these guys are saying that they're scared to cross the border because it'll be turned turned around because of ambiguity based, and that's where they go and cross the border, and they've lost fingers and have frostbite everywhere. Um, okay, but yeah. politics politics should trump that. Sorry. Well, we're, we're, well, I mean, like they could file. Like as far as I know, they're not being prosecuted, right? They could file a refugee claim with the Canadian government. I know it takes some time, but they 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 can follow due process and try to gain access to Canada. Um, if they're in dire need, I don't see a representative at a Canadian embassy telling them to turn around and and get out of there. Um, it's 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 a tough situation because okay. at the same time, this is you're talking about a country that we have been so tightly knit with for as practically as long as we exist have existed and we have these agreements with this country and we have no I don't think we have we don't have any evidence that there's any violence towards these individuals and they're, they're individuals that are not like if they're not all refugees either they're a lot of them are just they're, they're immigrants that are undocumented Which, yeah from like, Somalia and the country like the countries that are affected by the travel ban that yeah. are scared to get deported. Yeah. Well, who says what a refugee is? Like, I mean, if they're getting deported and they're going to be in trouble in their country, then wouldn't that make them a refugee? I suppose, but, like, not all of these people, that's not the situation for all those people. Like, Somalia, there's, there's good and bad parts of Somalia. You could live, you could be from Somalia and live in the States and not necessarily because your life in Somalia was that bad that you came to the United States. It's just you're there for whatever reason, for work or for... But yeah, well, similarly, a Syrian immigrant could have been there for 10 years back when it was okay in Syria, but now wouldn't want to risk going back. Fair enough. That's fair. Um, I, I, I like... Like I said, it's a tough situation. I don't know that we are turning them back at the, at the actual border crossings. From um, from a, a news conference that I watched, uh, the town of Emerson, there was representatives from the Canada Border Security Agency and from the RCMP and from the, the, the mayor of the city or the mayor of the town was there. They had had an influx of refugees. Um, and they mentioned that the Canada Border and Security Agency only deals with border crossings, and they were talking about how they've dealt with refugees at border crossings um, because of this travel ban. And they did not say that they are turning them back. They said that they follow due process, they go through screening, and you know they they they. If depending on the situation, if they're deemed not not a threat or whatever, then they're allowed access into the country on a certain under certain conditions. Okay. Um, yeah, we're we're yeah. So it's been a long one. I just want to know 
the another part of this travel ban, the uncertainty, right? So just like you said, it's not necessarily they're getting turned over or whatever, but there is it is causing some uncertainty. And um, it seems, I mean, if this continues, that our industry, uh, I, I think you would consider yourself you work for the tech industry. Um, I, it would seem that our industry might um, seem to benefit from people not wanting to take the risk, from good talent not wanting to take the risk to go to the United States and might come here. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It might, it might for sure. Um, and I think, I think that, I think that immigration is good for our economy, and a lot of people think that um, that way. I think that's that's part of the Canadian DNA. Um, even though obviously the racism exists everywhere and it's not perfect, but I think that there's a lot of organizations in this country that that uh, just thrive on diversity, and it's great. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I would, yeah, I would say the same thing with Americans. Uh, generally, uh, if you look at Apple, say. Um, Late Steve Jobs, his his mom was a Syrian immigrant, uh, and if you look at Tesla uh, and SpaceX, Elon Musk uh, is an immigrant from South Africa. He spent some time in Canada, but he is making a ton of money and doing good for the United States. So, you, you kind of it's kind of weird to see this this uh, this kind of stuff going on. Yeah, I would agree. It's uh, I mean it's. Again, it's, it's that like this is something I've been thinking about, and it's a bit off topic, and we're uh, over time. But I, I, so I think it's it's important for me to mention this while I'm thinking about it. <laughs> but the United States system, to me, is divides people because it's a two-party system. So you got one politician that thinks one way and you got another politician that thinks another way, and there's no one in between. So you're either forced into one camp or forced into another camp. And in this case, you have a president that was not elected by the majority of the people, and you have a bunch of people on the other side that are think completely differently, and they have to put up with the policies of this administration because of the way that their system works. Yeah, and and that's um, and that's the the often not optimist, but the non-cynical way of putting it. I mean, if you talk to people that voted for Trump or Trump himself, he would have said that both sides want to do the same thing. Basically, there wasn't enough of a difference between the two. That's why they have this candidate that completely tore up both both sides and be one for one party. Um, but yeah, yeah, it seems it's definitely it's definitely a weird place. <laughs> it's definitely a weird place. I haven't even been there back up, so I don't shouldn't really have an opinion on it. <laughs> <laughs> I went there once. It was gloomy, but then again, I went to Buffalo, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So we're, we're kind of over time here. Um, well, I guess we'll end it here for the week. We kind of touched on a lot of things. It's, uh, it's good. Uh, we, we talked about the events there at the end. Yep. 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 So, yeah, nice talking to you guys, and I'll talk to you next week. Have a good night. Again, on SoundCloud and iTunes, Facebook and Twitter. Have a good night, everybody.